Amen. Oh, but it's good to be with you this morning, and happy Father's Day. Uh, we have many of our kids with us this morning, and we are so glad they're here with us. Um, kids, thanks for being here. And parents, uh, do not worry. Do not freak out. Do not stress out if we have some meltdowns in the service. That is okay. We are together as a family, and that is a good thing, and we love our families. So thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I had the privilege this past week uh, for a couple days of going to the Evangelical Free Church West Conference with a couple of our pastors and elders, and it was, it, was, it was a fantastic time. One of the things that was so encouraging about it was we didn't leave with a bunch of things on our to-do list. We left with a sense of, God is working here. And so many of the things that they were talking about at that conference are things that we've already seen developing here at Bethany. And we see just God's faithfulness all over the place. And it was just such an encouraging time to be together. But we were also reflecting a lot on where we've been and, and some of the changes that have, have come about in the past four years or five years or six years and, and realize that there's some, so many wonderful things that have happened and some hard things, some things that just you go, mm, that's, I'm still just looking to the Lord to help me, walk me through that. And we were talking about what perfect timing this was because this coming Sunday, next week, we're having a reflection service, and that is where we are going to look back on what we learned from 1 Peter chapter 2, what God has taught us, but we're also going to look back on what God has been doing at our church and take some time to, to call upon the Lord and to thank Him for the good things, to entrust him with some of the things, the hard things that we are still living with and dealing with. That's going to be really good. Uh, the, the, the big teaser is uh, at the, toward the end of the service, we're going to be talking about our new church logo uh, and whether or not we keep the cross in the center of that thing. Hmm. You should come next Sunday. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. Let's talk about this Sunday. Um, I think it was 1964 when a man by the name of Cassius Clay, later known as Muhammad Ali, was asked by a reporter, how are you going to take on, how are you going to fight the current heavyweight champion of the world? And Cassius said this, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Your, your, your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. And that's when we realize this guy's not only a boxer, he's also a poet. How are you going to fight, Cassius? What are you, you going to do here? And essentially, he says, I'm going to be quick. I'm going to be agile. I'm going to deliver a punch that cannot be ignored and has a lasting mark. The past few weeks, we've been talking about Christians and how they step into the ring and fight since they've placed their trust in Jesus Christ, they have essentially defected from the old kingdom and they've in, been brought into this kingdom of light, the kingdom of their creator. They've, they've switched teams. And the people that they used to play ball with have now become the competition. 
These people have been warring against their maker ever since Genesis chapter 3. But Christ followers are now on God's team. And these people are rebelling against God. And now Christians are united with God and identified with God. And guess what? Now Christians very often are objects of hatred along with God. For a while, back in the 1950s, things, things seemed like they were pretty peaceful and the world seemed like a pretty safe place. Uh, you, you know, you, you looked at the morality of those who called themselves Christians and the morality of those who, who did not call themselves Christians, and it seemed like, at least on the outside, all appearances, it, it looked pretty similar. But we've come into a day where it's becoming harder and harder to mistake the enormous rift that now lies between members of, of Christ who want to honor and follow and submit to God's word and those who live in that other kingdom. I was texted just this past week by someone who, um, who was asking me if I had seen what uh, Christina Aguilera recently wore on stage and did on stage at a concert. Now, if you know, you know. If you don't know, I strongly encourage you not to look at that on a full stomach and if you were under 18, do not look at that. He wrote me in his text. He said, I can confidently say to my parents' generation that things are so much worse now than it was for them. Doesn't it feel that way? It kind of does. Even for so many people who would, who would not consider themselves relig religious are having a hard time es escaping the, the reality that things are not quite right. In fact, there seems to be something that is very, very wrong here. What's going on, you might ask? Apparently, Romans chapter 1, verse 32 was right. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, those such things are all of these corrupt evil things that, that Paul lists off in Romans chapter 1. Though they know that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And now it seems we're living in a world where not only do they give approval to those who practice them, but they are insisting that you practice and celebrate them as well. You know what? The lines are getting thicker, and they are getting darker. The divide between what the Bible says and where society is going, well, it's, it's two different directions and it's becoming bigger and bigger. And that's why it's so crucial that we take time to think about how we enter the fight. Ephesians 5.15 says, look carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are evil. Make the best use of your time. What is the best use of your time? Well, we know that we're here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That means, very simply, pointing people to Jesus. That means showing them how good and glorious he is and how much they need him. It means living and speaking in such a way that, that, that urges people to jump off of that train that's heading for that ravine where the bridge is out. And it also means our fight isn't horizontal, is it? 
You remember this picture? <laughs> it's not a horizontal. It, it means we're not here to just tear other people to pieces and stomp them when they're down. It means that the fight is a vertical one that Christians find themselves in. We're, we're here to use our words and to use our lives in such a way that we pull people out of darkness and move them towards the light. We talked about how you do that in a society. We've talked about how you do that in the workplace. Now it's time to address the family. And specifically, in the realm, the battlefield of husbands and wives. That can be a battlefield, can't it? <laughs> what does Peter say about husbands and wives who are no longer belonging to this world? How should they fight this vertical battle and point each other to Jesus? That's where we come to 1 Peter and chapter 3 this morning. Yes, next week we're reflecting on chapter 2, but uh, we're in chapter 3. What can I say? Here we go. Would you stand with me as we read from God's word? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Brace yourselves. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the, wearing, or the, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, just reading these, these words uh, makes me wonder if we, our security team is on the campus here. Uh, this is the kind of stuff where the, our culture, our world does not get it. They do not understand it. They are fighting vigorously against it. Uh, they're here, by the way. What can we say about marriage and the fight? When Miss Melissa and I uh, we're engaged. We were getting all sorts of advice. This is actually our wedding. Uh, this should not be embarrassing for my wife because you can't even see her face. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying very hard here. Uh, and we were told all of these different things for what is a secret uh, for, a good, for a good, healthy marriage. And we heard the secret is communication. Oh, yes, everyone says that. I remember uh, one lady uh, was just drilling that into me, and just I was backed into a corner, and I could just smell the alcohol on her breath. And we're going, oh, yes, communication. Okay, all right, I got it. Someone would say it's so important that you just remind each other, show each other all the time uh, how much you love each other. You know what? Put little notes around the house that, that have that word schmilly on them. You, you know the word schmilly? It's that secret, not so secret code that's supposed to mean, see how much I love you, right? Okay, that's good. Uh, several other people just said, you know what? Watch out. 
watch out. I know you think this is fun now. It may be fun for about one or two years, but it's going to get hard. Wait till those kids come along. <laughs> then you'll see. You'll know I'm right. There was a four-year-old girl named uh, Susie, and she went to preschool, and she heard for the very first time the story of Snow White. And her mom picked her up, and she got in the car. Mom, I learned the story of Snow White. And she was telling her mom about Prince Charming and how that kiss that he gave, it, it, it brought that girl back to life. And the little girl, Susie, she said, Mom, do you know what happened next? And Mom said, yeah, I, I know. They lived happily ever after. And she said, no. They got married. <laughs> Someone once asked a woman who had been married to her husband for a number of years, uh, what, it, what it was like, what it felt like, uh, how, how you doing? And, and the woman replied, well, um, what can I say? Being married to him, you know, it, it feels just like five minutes, just like five minutes underwater. <laughs> as wonderful and as good as marriage is created to be, it can be difficult because it involves two fallen people coming together and seeking to become one. That is no small task. But Peter wants us to see that marriage between two people who have been brought into that eternal kingdom, the eternal light of Christ, they have a mission, they have a purpose that goes far beyond just self-fulfillment, far beyond just living a, a blissful life, living happily ever after, far beyond that. They have a mission to point each other to Jesus. Did you notice the first word that's given here to, to wives and then to husbands in verse uh, 7 is likewise. Likewise. That means that likewise, just as, as servants, just like those who have governors and kings and, and presidents and, and emperors over them, he's saying the same thing to wives and husbands. They're to do the same thing for each other. They are to live in such a way that points each other to Jesus. How do husbands and wives, how do they fight this vertical battle and point each other to Jesus? How do they live uniquely their days uh, in a way that proclaims the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness? Wives, you get to go first. It's Father's Day, so here you go. As those who no longer belong to this world, Christian wives point their husbands to Jesus by cultivating lasting female beauty. There's a lot of beauty out there, isn't there? A lot of beauty, a lot of wonderful things to look at. That's why so many people are on Instagram. They're just beautiful thing, beautiful thing, beautiful thing. And they get in this like circular thing where they can't stop looking at beautiful things. We love beautiful things, but the trouble with so many beautiful things is they just, they don't last. They go away. You can spend all your time, all of your energy, all your money in the pursuit of beauty, and you'll just find it like, like sand at the beach, just slipping through your fingertips. And yet what Peter is telling us here in chapter 3 is that there is a beauty that doesn't fade, it doesn't wrinkle, it doesn't spoil. There's an imperishable beauty that we should pursue, that women should pursue. And for the men out there, we need to realize that there is an imperishable beauty which we need to find as superior to any other beauty out there, any beauty that Instagram or Facebook or whatever is telling us that we should desire. It's a beauty that's reflected of the beauty of the one who is truly perfect, 
infinitely beautiful and will point you to draw even closer and closer to him. It's the beauty of the maker. The shepherd king David wrote, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That's where the real beauty is at. Wives, those of you who may be wives, one day, your goal as a member of the eternal kingdom is to point your husband or your future husband to Jesus by cultivating that kind of beauty. What, is, what, what does that look like? It's so, it's so uh, enigmatic. What, is it, what does it look like? Here we go. First of all, a woman of lasting beauty hopes in God. Verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Hope in God is characteristic of this beauty. Her hope isn't in her husband. No, it's not. And, and for those of you who are newly married, that, that may be where, where it, it kind of is. But as you get older, you start to realize, yeah, it's not, it shouldn't be there. <laughs> Probably not that guy. <laughs> I think it was my oldest daughter this week who was asking if uh, either um, if Melissa had any regrets in marrying me. Yeah, um, she said no, uh, but um, yeah, there was the slightest bit of hesitation, <laughs> and I know why. Their hope is not in their husband. Their hope isn't in their looks. Their hope isn't in financial security. It's not in good health. It's not in being successful. Instead, their hope is in God. All of her significance and all of her worth and all of her security and all of her joy, all of her happiness is found in God. Proverbs 31.25 describes her. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. How can she do that? Well, she doesn't have to fear the future because she knows that God is in complete control and he's, he's working all things together for, for her good and his glory. And so she sees the headlines on the news. Mm. She knows about the war and the wars and the crashing economy. And she knows about the gas prices. Oh, yes, she knows. She knows about the shortages on this or that. She knows the threats to health. She knows that maybe this disease or that disease runs in her family. She's, she's heard about the conspiracies. She knows that, the, the, that people are coming after her children with all their perverse agendas. She's aware that things are probably going to get worse. But she doesn't give in to fear. How is she able to do that? How is she able to trust in God in the face of all of these different things? Well, it's It's possible. I don't know for sure, but it's possible she reads her Bible. It's possible that she knows something of sound doctrine, of good theology, that is, that is details of who God is, who she is, and what Jesus Christ has done. It's possible she understands who God is, what he's about, what he's done for her, and that he always, always, always follows through on his promises. She knows that there's a real fight going on, but she takes great hope, 
great courage, great joy in the fact that she's been called out of darkness and into the light of her Savior. And she lives in the spectacular knowledge that, yes, the world may be passing away, and it looks like it's on a landslide right now, but she's a member of the eternal kingdom. And she has stored up for her an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading and kept in heaven for her. Men, how many women do you know who could fit that description? Ladies, do you want lasting beauty? Do you want beauty that doesn't get old, doesn't develop wrinkles, doesn't, get, doesn't die? Hope in God. This actually is the foundation of everything else, every other point here when it comes to lasting beauty. It starts here. If your hope is not in God, then everything else just crumbles. It's that hope in God that's going to establish a worldview that tells you, you don't belong here anymore. You belong to that eternal kingdom, and you're here for a purpose. Hope in God. A woman whose hope is set fully in God possesses a beauty that will not get old, and it's a beauty that points others Lord willing, husbands to Jesus. Secondly, a woman of lasting beauty, she's fearless, closely connected to the last point. Slightly different, 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6 say this, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening Hope in God produces that. It produces fearlessness. Peter gives us the example of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And here's a woman whose husband received a message from God, and uh, she was supposed to up and leave her people to go to a place she had never, never heard about, didn't even know. Why? Because some voice spoke to my husband? And yet Sarah courageously walks by his side into the unknown. And Peter says, you follow in her footsteps when you, don't, when you live without fear. You know, that doesn't mean that there is nothing to fear. There are lots of fearful things in our world today. It is very real. It doesn't mean that there will never be tough times. Instead, there's something beautiful about a woman who's able to do battle with her fears and worries that rise up. She's able to do this because her hope is in the one who is bigger than any problem or difficulty that may come her way. Ladies, what does your fear factor look like? You remember that old show? (laughs) Do you worry about what others think of you? Do you get anxious when you think about the future? Do you worry about how your children are going to turn out or whether or not you're going to have enough money or whether you're going to be able to avoid getting sick or, or maybe being robbed in the middle of the night? You grow ever more beautiful and point others to Jesus as you fearlessly trust in God. Third, a woman of lasting beauty focuses on what's inside. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart that is imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the women of old were beautiful. Obviously, These verses aren't saying, don't do anything to your hair. They're not saying, don't put on any makeup. Don't put on any jewelry. No, it's not saying that. If we took it to mean that, then we don't have to also say, don't put on any clothing. Um, That could be a problem. 
He's not saying that. Instead, Peter's saying, rather, have your focus on making, making yourself beautiful on the inside. Don't let the focus be on the outside. Let it be on the inside. How many beautiful people have we seen? I mean, they're, they're gorgeous. God has made some really beautiful people, and I am not one of them. Uh, really, really beautiful people, and you look at them, you see their faces on the covers of magazines or up on the social media, and, they, and, and you start to see what's on the inside, and they reveal to themselves to be rotting sea hags. <laughs> I think this is one of the reasons so many beautiful people end up divorced. Everything looks amazing at the beginning. Oh, we're great. We're perfect for each other. I'm like a princess. You're like a prince. This is incredible. We're perfect. It's going to be happily ever after. I know it. Just like in the movies. And then you get to know each other and you see what's on the inside and you go, oh no, it's not like in the movies. <laughs> Any outward beauty you possess or, 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 or the makeup or the hairstyles or the clothes, clothings or the accessories you put on to enhance should not be ends in and of themselves, but they should complement rather than distract from the real inner beauty that God is cultivating within you. That, that internal, gentle, quiet spirit. It, it, it doesn't need anything in addition to make up for, for itself. It doesn't need to promote itself because it's not insecure. Its security is in God. It doesn't need to be loud and obnoxious and assert itself because it's content with the attention it gets from the, the most important, most significant being in all of existence. It doesn't have to be aggressive throw its weight around, to fight and claw, to exert itself because it rests fully in the good promises and provision of God. When a woman hopes in God and is not driven by fear, an inner peace and sweet spirit develop that are, Peter says, beautiful, precious in God's eyes. And husbands, we should find that beautiful as well. Fourth, a woman of lasting beauty submits. Hang, 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 hang in there with me. As those who no longer belong to this world, Christian wives, they point their husbands to Jesus by cultivating this lasting female beauty as they submit to their own husbands. That's, that's really important. The wording is very important there. Not other husbands. <laughs> Not any man out there. No, their own husbands, Peter writes. Verse 1 says, be subject to your own husbands. Verse uh, 5 says, by submitting to their own husbands. You know, it's a sad thing uh, that our society takes this idea of submission and they just they kick it to the curb or, or they, they throw it to the ground and they dump gasoline on it and then they light it on fire because this is the worst thing ever. This is the worst idea ever. What a bad idea. But you know what? It's, it's understandable because how many men have taken a verse, verses like this and they've twisted it and they've manipulated it to treat women like objects or, or some type of slaves? But if we look at God's word honestly and holistically, we realize that, that God has designed creation in a certain way. And we, we realize that he has patterned human beings after his own image, right? We've talked about that a lot. And who is God to begin with? He is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the 
roles between individual human beings actually are to reflect the roles that exist in the Godhead. Do you realize that there are different roles that the Father has from the Son and from the Holy Spirit? The Father sends the Son. He was sent. The Son, what does he do? He submits to the Father and obediently goes. The Spirit brings about what the Father accomplishes through the Son. And that's what happens when you place your trust in Jesus and the Spirit indwells you. And now you're given this newness of life and transformation inside. That's the Spirit doing his thing. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all completely God. (laughs) They're all of the same substance, the, the same nature, and yet they have these unique roles. And the same is true for people who are created in God's image. They put on display to the rest of creation something of who God is. And they do that as they honor one another, as they respect one another, as they complement one another, even in mutual submission. And it's not just a husband and wife thing. Chapter 2, verse 13, 1 Peter. Peter tells us, be subject to every human institution, okay? First Peter 2, 18 to 25, he tells servants, submit to your masters. I think that was last week. Here in 1 to 6, he talks about wives submitting to their husbands. In 7, in just a little bit, we're going to talk about husbands being instructed to honor their wives as fellow heirs of God's goodness. Next time, two weeks from now, we're going to be in 8 through 12, and we'll see him tell all of us who are in the church, all of us, to submit to each other. Submission is just an important part of the Christian life. As we submit to each other, we're ultimately submitting to God, the creator, who creates all these relationships in the first place. But here, in 1 Peter 3, he writes specifically to wives and tells them, be subject to your own husbands. And the idea is that rather than fighting and clawing and always trying to make yourself look better and trying to control your husbands, Peter says, submit. I've heard that husbands aren't always right. Sometimes they do foolish things. I don't know anyone like that, but sometimes uh, husbands don't make it very easy for their wives to, uh, to support them and honor them. Actually, sometimes they make it very, very easy for their wives to make fun of them and criticize them and maybe seek to, like, step up and take the leadership role and, and maybe just plow ahead and over them. You can imagine what it's like for a woman who has placed her trust in Jesus Christ, but her husband just refuses to acknowledge the authority of God in his life. But the woman of lasting beauty trusts God even when her husband isn't measuring up to all that he should be. She respects not because he is deserving of it, but because she trusts in God and wants to honor him as she honors the husband that God has given her. And there's something good and imperishable about that beauty that's created there. Now, just like we clarified with obedience to, uh, with submission to government and submission to earthly masters, employers, that doesn't mean absolute obedience. And it doesn't mean following along with things that are in direct contrast to the commands that God has given her. Nor does it mean not reaching out for help when you find yourself in a bad position, situation. It does mean that wives who now belong to the eternal kingdom, they, 
they still honor their commitment to, and they seek to bring good to their husbands. I think there was great temptation for so many wives living in this society that Peter was living in and speaking to that came to trust in Jesus, and they said, well, why should I listen to him? This is how they fight the vertical battle. It's how they represent the Savior well and put on display the powerful transformation that God's Spirit is doing within them. And they show that Jesus Christ truly is the way, the truth, and the life. They step into the ring and they fight, not looking at their own husbands as the enemy, but as people who need to be persuaded with the good news. Okay. Husbands. Any husbands out there? Don't get too comfortable because Peter has something to say for you. And if you thought wives had a hard job, then brace yourselves. As those who have been, who no longer belong to this world, Christian husbands, point their wives to Jesus by honoring them as they intentionally die to self. Likewise, husbands, he writes. What do you think that likewise means? What do you think it's referring to? He's talking about submission. Husbands are to submit to what is good and what is needed from them for their wives. And that, doesn't, that, that means dying to living simply for themselves. That means they're not free agents anymore. They have responsibilities. They have committed themselves. They are there to bring good to their wives in a way that points their wives to Jesus. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everyone submits. Dying like a man means submitting to your wife. Someone says, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. I, you've, you've lost it. I don't see the word submit in there, and I think you're making this up. Jared, I'm going to go listen to the pastor down the street or the guy online. How can you both people submit? Who's going to be the leader? You've all been in that situation where you've been in the car, and you're trying to decide, where are we going to go to lunch today? And someone says, well, uh, where would you like to go to lunch? And they say, I don't know. Where do you want to go to lunch? And they say, where are you want to go? I don't know. where." And you just go on and on and on, and everyone starves to death, and that's why there's so many vehicles left there on the side of the road where there's two people dead inside. <laughs> Is that what Peter's talking about? No, he's not talking about that. There is a difference in how God calls husbands and wives to submit to one another. The, the husband doesn't submit to his wife uh, by saying, you know what, you be the spiritual leader. I'm going to submit to you, you be the spiritual leader, and I'm gonna, I've got a couch there that's waiting for me, a nice cold beverage, and a massive TV. You go, I'll submit to you, you go be the spiritual leader. It does not mean that. It doesn't mean that they just sit around waiting for their wives to suggest, when would be a good time to go to church? Oh, it's Mother's Day? Okay, we can go then. It doesn't mean that they're sitting around waiting for their wives to take the lead and getting the kids ready for school or getting up early in the morning and spending time with God. No, it doesn't mean that. That's not how we submit. No, he submits to his duty of being the spiritual leader. He submits to his duty of being sensitive to the needs, the fears, the feelings of his wife. He submits his needs to her and makes whatever sacrifices are necessary to bring good to her. B. 
be it financially, spiritually, physically, etc. Why? Because Peter says she's the weaker partner. Wow, that's offensive too. One pastor wrote, well, she's fully equal in Christ and not inferior spiritually because she's a woman. She's physically, physically weaker in most cases. There's one girl that I saw on TV recently who, I, yeah, she's got me beat by far. I do not want to get in a brawl with her in most cases. She's in need of protection, provision, and strength from her husband. Check out how Ephesians 5 describes the difference. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to your, their husbands in everything. Whew, that sounds heavy. Here, Paul very clearly lays out that submission for the wife, it has to do with leadership here. But he goes on. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water, by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Ladies, you have a tough job. To submit to your husbands, these imperfect husbands, husbands you have. Whew. How did Christ give himself up for the church? He was mocked. He was spit on. Beaten. Whipped. Nailed to a cross and left for dead for the sake of the church. Went through all of that obedience to the Father, in submission to the Father, because of the great love God had for the church. What are you guys called to do? What are we called to do? We're called to submit to our wives by means of our death. Strange title for the message this morning. Fight like a woman, die like a man. You're called to die. If you're going to live like a man, you're going to die like a man, just as Christ gave his life up for the church, for us. Every decision you make, Everything that you do, thought that you have that no one knows about, but God and you, you're called to die to your selfish desires and live for her. Ladies, does that mean that every selfish little thing that you want, your husbands have to do to you? This is like Publishers Clearinghouse Day, and you're like, yes, finally someone's saying it. <laughs> he has to watch your TV shows. Oh, man. He has, to he has to go wherever you want to eat. He has to buy you every little thing that your heart desires, that Louis Vuitton bag for your little chihuahua. <laughs> Whew. No. Christ doesn't die to give us every little selfish thing that we desire. He died to give us what we needed most and met our greatest need, didn't he? And in the same way, men... Your call as husbands is to meet the greatest need of your wife by living in such a way that their attention is directed to the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the kingdom of the light. I don't know how many times i got to say that through the course of 1 Peter. It just comes back to it over and over again. What does dying look like? Dying means saying, dying to self means saying no to sin. This is the first battle here, and it's oh so private but also powerful. That means first and foremost dying to the passions of the flesh, which we talked about a little while ago, 
It means saying no to sin, saying yes to Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 6, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, God's giving us all this grace for all the sin that we have. So we sin more and more and more, then we get more and more grace. Isn't that a good thing? That's dumb reasoning. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's a death going on here. We were buried, therefore, with him into baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Men, is your faith in Christ more than just a contract? Do you understand that now that you are a Christian, you are to walk in the newness of life? Of life, And that means saying no to the old passions of the flesh. It means saying no to indulging in the old things you once practiced in your former ignorance, to use uh, the language of Ephesians. It means daily forsaking the old dark kingdom and purposefully pursuing a life that is consistent with the eternal kingdom of light. It means saying no to sin. Dying to self also means saying yes to obedience. As men... It is hard for us to, well, it's hard for us to ask for directions. It's hard for us to obey. We want to be the authority. We don't want to submit to anyone else's authority. But being a man means dying to yourself, and it means saying yes to God's authority in your life. Men, husbands, do you understand that trusting in Jesus, it makes you a disciple of Jesus automatically. Someone who says, I trust in Christ, my life is devoted to learning more about Christ and seeking to become like Christ as I make conscious daily decisions to obey in everything that he has commanded. That's what we're doing together in this process called discipleship at the church. We're teaching each other to obey, just like Jesus said in Matthew 28. You'd lead your wives, not by telling them where the family's going to lunch, and not by saying what's going to come up on the big screen in your living room, No, you lead your families by being the first and most ferocious pursuant of intimacy and obedience to Christ. And that might mean dying to our desire to sleep in and getting up early to do battle in prayer for the sake of our own spiritual health and that of our family and our wives. It might mean dying to to laziness. Maybe even putting your foot down with your teenage children and getting your family to bed on time so that they can be well-rested and ready to worship with God's people on Sunday morning. It may mean dying to the weekend warrior or pleasure-seeking mentality and showing your wife that there's nothing more important. There is nothing better that I can do for you than us coming together and worshiping with the people of God. For some, it might mean dying to your pride. Maybe finally getting baptized or becoming a member of your church. You know, baptism is an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience in which you tell your family and the rest of your church, the rest of the people of God, that you are in the kingdom of light, that you're a Christ disciple, you're a fellow soldier in the fight. If you're going to be a spiritual leader that God has called you to be, why wouldn't you be the first in line, no matter how old you are or how long you've procrastinated, to get in line and say, dunk me. I want people to know I'm a follower of Christ. Why wouldn't you lead the example and say, 
I'm going to put a stake in the ground here, and I'm going to declare that I'm committed to loving this local body. What's more, I'm going to allow them to speak into my life and hold me accountable and point out things that are not consistent with Christian faith because I belong to this eternal kingdom, and I'm called to be a spiritual leader. Why wouldn't you do that? Men, we need to get off the bench, step into the ring, die for the glory of God and the good of our wives and the good of our families. Happy Father's Day. As those who no longer belong to this world, Christian husbands point their wives to Jesus by honoring them as they intentionally die to self. And, and, and just, just real quick, just as this is here, so we need, to, we need to read it. Likewise, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's he saying? If you're a Christian husband who is not submitting to the needs of his wife, taking care of her, putting her needs before your own, leading spiritually, God might not answer prayers. If you don't do what God has called you to do, are you cutting yourself off from God's blessing in your life? This is serious stuff here. Christ gave himself up for the church, so must we for our wives. Buying our, our wives flowers every once in a while doesn't cut it. You're to sacrifice your wants, your comfort, your pleasure, take care of her needs, point to Christ all the time. It's a tall order. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Husbands, wives, as people, no longer belong to this world. How do you fight the vertical battle? Men, are you living and dying like the man, Jesus Christ? Are you laying down your lives, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your rights for the good of your wives that they might see Jesus? Ladies, are you fighting like women who no longer belong to this world? Are you saying no to what the world is telling you to be and yes to the imperishable beauty to which Christ has called you as you hope in God as you fearlessly rely on the goodness of your Savior, as you focus on developing a beautiful, inner, gentle, quiet spirit, and as you submit yourselves to your husbands, are you pointing your husbands, saved or unsaved, to Jesus? It's time to fight like a woman, die like a man. It's time to be the husbands and wives Christ has called us to be and lead each other out of darkness and further and farther into the kingdom of light. Lord, we, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the patience of the children in this room. A lot has been said, and a lot of time has been taken, but Lord, so very important. And they are the direct recipients of healthy marriages where mom and dad submit to each other and love each other well by pointing each other to Jesus, and in so doing, pointing their families, their children to Jesus. And there is nothing better. Lord, I pray for those families, these families that are represented here. Some are, are young, some are in the trenches right now, and they're feeling it right now. When is this guy going to end? we got to get our kids out of here and get some food in them. And some have, have gone beyond that. Some are grandparents. Some have never had children. Lord, I pray for them, because they are in a fight They are in a battle, and the world 
is telling them to battle each other. But Lord, may they look to you and realize their battle is to point others to Jesus by what they say and how they live. Lord, would you enable them to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you do amazing, wonderful things and allow them to see the fruit, the results of you working through them? And Lord, remind us on that day where we stand before you of how good you have been to us and how every good thing that was accomplished in our lives was all of you. It gives you glory and it brought us good. We love you. We thank you. I pray your blessing upon these in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.